In Omaha, you start playing football when you're like two and a half or three. You can. And you train and you try to get a scholarship. You didn't have that in a small town in Illinois. And so I didn't start to my freshman year. Four games is all I had. And I thought football was going to be awesome. But I got four games. So when I tell people I played, I played football in high school, I want to sound like I'm really great. And then uh, I go, I played four games. Well, here's what happened even. It was quite embarrassing. I don't remember learning a single play. Now, ladies, I don't know if you know much about football, but you probably know that plays are important. And maybe I learned to play. I, I, I don't, um, just my memory, I don't remember learning a single play. Uh, maybe I did, but you kind of need to know the plays. And you know, like the coach signs the thing to the quarterback and you get into a huddle. So from, from what I recollect, there was one play where the ball was thrown in my general direction. Now, I think it was a poor pass. I don't remember that it was supposed to come to me. But I, re- I honestly remember a couple times being out on the field going, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do out here. I don't know. I remember on offense, I was tight end, which I feel like tight end is where, was where they stick people who don't know how to play football or don't know how to do anything. No offense if you play tight end. But I was like not good enough to be a wide receiver, and I was too scrawny to be a lineman, so I was like, I was tight end. Did not even know if the ball was supposed to come to me, and I remember thinking, like, that was probably my only chance. This was game three of my freshman career, and that was probably my only chance. Um, so needless to say, I had a horrible experience. And um, I thought football was going to be really, really fun, and it really wasn't necessarily fun. Uh, I had to dress every Friday night. I remember freezing my tail off, standing on the sidelines, and never got to play besides those four games. So here's the thing. When the pressure was on, I was like, I have no idea. It's like, I'm just out here running around. I tried to tackle the person. I mean, they threw me in as a linebacker once. But I felt like, for me, man, I was like ready that year. I thought football was going to be my thing. And man, when it was like game on time... Uh-uh. Like, Brad was out there looking like a fool. I don't know, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe a lot of you in here, you kind of hate sports, and sports isn't your thing. But what we're talking about is there's plenty of times where, whatever it is, there's moments where it's like game on. You're put to the test, it's game on. So here's maybe a few things. Maybe you, maybe you play video games. Any gamers in here? Any of you, like, love playing video games? Maybe you play video games, and, you know, at times you're just playing video games. But now there's this thing... This makes me sound really old, where apparently you, like, go online and play against other people online. Whoa, I don't know if that's on PlayStation 3. I, like, don't, I don't know video games or Xbox 360. But so what if you suddenly link in and you play against somebody else out there somewhere? Mm, like, that's game on time, right? They're a worthy opponent, and you're playing, I don't know, uh, Age of Empires? Is that still a good game? No, you're playing <laughs> World of Warcraft? No, that was, like, when I was in high school. Now it's, it's Black Ops, right? Call of Duty. And what's the other big game? Halo. Halo. Okay. I know Halo. Never played Halo. It's game on time when it comes to Halo. Or you're this. A lot of you in here maybe play band. You're in band. So you play the drums. Now, I don't know what game on is for you. Maybe you moved up from last year and you were in second seat and now you're in first seat. And man, when it's like marching band competition or you have band competition every Saturday right now, it is game on. Maybe you're a guitar player, you're a bass player, and at some point in your high school career, some local band says, hey, we don't have a guitar player, and you're going to audition tonight by playing at our show. Ooh, like, you better be good. It's game on time, right? It's game on. Um, or this, you're an artist, and you love to paint. Maybe some of you are artists in here. You just like to do creative stuff. And at some point, your art teacher at school says, hey... You maybe don't think you're that good, but you're good. And in a month, we have an art gallery, and you're going to submit a painting. 
Mm. You're going to submit a painting. It's game on. And suddenly you're like, whoa, pressure's on. This one guy in my group, and I'm not going to embarrass you and say your name, but he spoke it. He goes to a Christian school. He spoke at his chapel Tuesday, and I think he does it again tomorrow for the older students. I don't know how long it had to be, five, ten minutes, but like public speaking, whoa, for some of you, that would be like game on time. It's crazy. Or even this, fellas, maybe you have a crush on a girl. Oh, now it's game on time, and you just happen to be standing next to her in the lunch line, and it's time for a conversation. And it's a little late to ask someone a homecoming dance, but it is still Saturday night for some of you, and you could still make that ask. It's game on. What are you going to do? See, our skills and our abilities are challenged most when we're placed under pressure because, again, when we're, like, put to the test, it's, it's game on. Are you, I, mean, I don't know. Nobody really, like, uses that phrase, but you know what I'm talking about, right? When it's, like, game on, things get intense. But here's the thing. It's not just with our skills and our abilities, our drumming, our lady skills or whatever you think you have approaching a lady. It's not just with your creativity. When we're put under pressure, our faith is tested too. Our faith, our faith in God, our convictions about what we believe, what's true in life. Um, And when it comes to our confidence in God and who he says he is, life's most difficult circumstances create game on moments. So in the next few weeks, as you saw in the video, we're going to look at the life of a, a real guy, stories recorded in the Bible, and his name's Daniel. And uh, Daniel lived during the 5th century BC. So if you think that all this stuff is maybe a myth, maybe you're new to the Bible, Daniel actually recorded this story himself. By, Daniel was the author of Daniel, and he wrote the book of Daniel in about 530 BC. Long, long time ago. And Daniel faced circumstances that were more difficult than you or I could ever dream of as we live here in the United States in 2013. But in the midst of them, Daniel, he had faith in God, and his faith didn't just survive, it flourished. Now, um, here's, here's kind of something else. I was, if, if you were to pull just a bunch of random people about what their least favorite subject in school is, I was trying to think about this, maybe science, but I think maybe most of all for some of you, it's math, and particularly algebra. Now, maybe some of you love algebra. I didn't mind algebra. I was okay at algebra. But I would think algebra would be at least near the top of the list of school subjects that you're just like, I just don't get this. Because here's the confusion, right? You go pre-algebra, I don't know, eighth grade year, maybe. You go algebra one, depends, I guess, what you're... But here's the thing. You learn mathematics in elementary school, and suddenly algebra you're throwing letters in the mix, right? You got all these variables, and you're like, what is this? And now this it's complicated, and fractions were hard enough, but now algebra. And then there's algebra 2 and algebra 3 and pre-calculus. Some of you are maybe like, I have to take calculus someday in college if I'm going to be a doctor, if I'm going to be a nurse, or whatever, if I'm going to be an engineer. It's tough. St- and even though I liked algebra, I remember thinking, I remember thinking this, What's the point of all this? Like, when in life will I ever use algebra, right? Have you ever thought this? When in life will I ever use this math class stuff? Because I at least knew, no matter what happens in life, there's no, like, no one's going to throw X's into real life. No one's going to, I just live. This stuff is pointless unless I'm an engineer. But here's the thing. In algebra, you learn, you all know this, right? You learn foundational concepts that build on each other. So you started learning basic addition, subtraction, 
multiplication, division, and eventually you get to high school and these things start to build. And so, have you guys ever thought about this? If there wasn't algebra, we would be missing out on some pretty spectacular things. In fact, when I kind of looked at this this week, if we did not have algebra, we would never have gone into space. We would have never gone into space without algebra. And you're like, what? How does that, what does algebra have to do with space? The engineering, all that stuff. There would be no such thing as an iPhone today without algebra. Again, how do you put one of these together? Think about that. Apparently, you need algebra. That's what I found. Thirdly, there would be no cars without algebra. You're like, what? All this stuff begins to build. You start as a child, and math builds year after year. You learn a little bit more, a little more advanced, a little more advanced, and suddenly you're in calculus. You go on to be an engineer, and you, I don't know, build a space shuttle. You build an iPhone. Here's what I'm trying to say. Faith, faith is similar. Um, Our faith in Christ is ultimately based on a foundation, which is God's Word. But you start to learn basic things. When you're a kid, if you go to church, and I understand some of you in here, you haven't grown up going to church, but you learn just basic Bible stories. But over time, you start to let your faith builds. You understand Scripture a little more and a little more each year. And so your faith is very, very similar. So we're going to look at Daniel tonight, but we're really going to look at one aspect of Daniel's life, and we're going to look at how the Bible impacted his life, how his faith in God impacted his life. So I don't know that Daniel, it's not like he had a, a bound book, but he was a Jewish guy. He knew the Torah. He had most of the first five books of the, of the Bible memorized. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to the Bible, many of you maybe have looked at the Bible like, oh, it's really, it's pretty thick. Um, it's overwhelming. It, to me, it's just like, a, it's just an old history book, Brad. Um, lots of stories in there that seem kind of weird, seem kind of far out there. But, man, isn't it? It's so outdated. It's maybe so irrelevant. Maybe you think today, um, current topics in today's world, and you're like, how does the Bible, and how does faith, and how does religion have any relevance to life today? Can it really fix things? Maybe when you think of reading the Bible, you think of your grandparents, or you think of your parents. You think of going to your grandparents at Christmas time, and the thing that your grandpa reads, or something like that. But maybe you just don't get much out of it. Or on the other hand, have you ever heard someone say, like, you should, you should so read the Bible, like, so awesome, and it's so exciting, and I get so much out of the Bible, but when you read it, you're like, I just don't. Or I, when I read it, I want to get, like, this magical thing out of it, and when I open it up, I'm so excited, but it just doesn't work for me. And you're like, I hear other people say it's so great, but I don't know. I open it up, nothing happens. How does this apply to my life at all? I sometimes read this story and I go, yeah, but I have, I don't know, a test today or there's a bully at school or I'm dealing with this or that. The Bible doesn't seem to help me at all. Here's the thing. Sometimes, you guys, quite honestly, it just doesn't. How does Job apply to your boss at work or your band director that you're fighting with or something? A lot of times, maybe you read a story and it just doesn't. It doesn't apply. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. If you're looking for an easy connection, so, so often there isn't one. But it's not, it's not because there's no connection to be made. Most of the time, it's because we're reading the Bible the wrong way. And we're reading the Bible like we read fortune cookies. And we open it up and we kind of think, oh, here's like a magical phrase that's going to help me today. Or God's going to like open this up and tell me exactly what I need to do today. But it doesn't work like that. And so often we think that maybe we'll find this like magical answer about something we're struggling with. But we don't. It's just not how it works. 
We don't approach the Bible. And even most importantly, I think the Bible is trying to tell us how we, how we get to know God better, how we get reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. But even beyond that, it also uh, doesn't work like that because it doesn't come alive only when we read it or listen to it, but it comes alive when we apply it. We have to, we have to put it into action. Our faith is huge, but it's not just belief. It's not just faith. It needs to come out in our actions. So here's a better way to say it, and this is on your outline if you have an outline. Our faith in Christ grows when we apply the Bible to our lives. Our faith in Christ grows when we apply the Bible to our lives. Not just when we read it, not just when we hear it preached at Oasis or something, but when we apply it to our lives. Now, I know that's not rocket science, and I know you've heard that before, but how are you doing with this? And again, I understand there's, there's times where you read the book of Job and go like, am I supposed to, am I supposed to suffer like this? I remember a guy in my small group last year saying, reading through a Solomon building the temple and the exact details that God gave Solomon to build the temple. And he kind of thought, oh, am I supposed to like build a temple? And he knew that wasn't the answer. Nonetheless, there's always something there that you can apply. So our faith in Christ grows when we apply the Bible to our lives. So the book of Daniel begins by telling the story of Daniel, who was a Jew, and his three friends, who were also Jewish. And uh, they went through one of the most difficult and turbulent times imaginable. So Daniel was from this kingdom called Judah. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard of Judah. And uh, this, king, this, this kingdom of Judah had a whole series through a good part of the Old Testament of really, really horrible kings, of just not great kings. They abused power. They caused wars. They worshipped all these idols and false gods. And then suddenly Judah was conquered by the most powerful empires on the earth at the time, which was the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And people were scattered from their homes. They were scattered from their friends. They were pulled into what the Bible says is exile. They were pulled out of their land, and they were brought to Babylon. And it was tragic, and it caused a ton of the Israelites to question God, maybe even lose their faith. But amazingly, what we see in the book of Daniel, and I don't know how many of you, when was the last time you looked at the story of Daniel? But I'm so, there, are so many, there are so many stories in the book of Daniel that we're going to look at for these next four weeks. But what we see when we look at Daniel's story is that not only did he not lose his faith when he goes through this like crazy thing, it flourishes. His faith comes to life and it flourishes. We see that in the darkest of times, our faith, when it's game on time, he brought it. And it was, it was such a conviction for him that he didn't chuck his faith when, like, something tested it. But he kept it. So there's this Babylonian king, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar decided to recruit this elite team of the exiles that he pulled out of, some of the Israelites. The best and the brightest. It even says the most handsome. And he wanted, like, this little slave entourage, basically. And he was going to put them into a training school for three years where they were taught Babylonian culture, the language the literature. And so Daniel and his three friends were part of this select group. And uh, we don't exactly know, so there was a whole group of people. We don't exactly know if there were other Jews in this group, but at least only these four, we do know only these four, at one point in chapter one of Daniel, which we're going to look at, kept to what they were taught, what they were taught as Jews from what the Bible said. They kept uh, these Jewish dietary laws. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you here know Jewish dietary laws. I don't know if you're a Jew, you do. Most of us today, we don't really think about this stuff. You heard of like kosher food, right? The only thing I know of is 
that most of the time hot dogs are definitely not kosher unless you're eating like Hebrew nationals. But I don't know much about Jewish dietary laws, but for, for Daniel and his three friends, this was huge. This was huge. And so grab your Bibles if you have them. I just want to look at a couple of verses of how Daniel's faith, how he applied it to his life. So open up to the book of Daniel. This is past Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. It's to the right of those, certainly to the right of Psalms. And if you get to the New Testament, you've gone too far. Daniel is not a huge book. But so as, as the book of Daniel starts, basically he gives a little background into this exile happening that they're taken to Babylon. And he kind of starts with this. So this is just verse 8, just verse 8. So Nebuchadnezzar does this stuff, tells him what to do, and it says, verse 8, but Daniel resolved not, not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He resolved not to defile himself with this food that the king was making them um, take. So here's the question real quick. Where did Daniel get these standards from? Where did he, I mean, where did he learn this? What was he, what was he doing? Where's this stuff found, these Jewish dietary laws? It's in the Bible, right? That's great. Daniel knew this stuff. Again, as any Jewish boy would have, uh, would have done, he had most, or if, if not all, of the Torah memorized. The Torah was the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. You guys, we, you struggle to memorize one verse, right? Imagine memorizing Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and Numbers. I don't know how they did it, and that's absolutely crazy, but here's the thing. They get pulled into exile. He has to know that he could easily be killed by this foreign king, just to even suggest this. And yet it's game on time, and he says, no, 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 I'm not going to eat your food. I don't care if you kill me. He doesn't say that. But he basically says, I'm not going to defile myself by eating this food. There are probably two reasons why Daniel rejected the food the king was offering. Number one, it was probably unclean food, which again, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, and you're like, why couldn't you eat certain foods? For whatever reason, God said certain foods were, un- were unclean. I know of pigs. I don't know of a lot beyond that. I haven't studied Leviticus in depth. It could have been because some of those foods, if they ate them, quite frankly, they'd just make them sick or they'd kill them. I don't know if it was because pigs ate junk and pigs lived in mud and they were just dirty animals. But that was, that was the first reason. They were, the food was most likely unclean. Secondly, the food had most likely earlier been offered as a sacrifice to idols, which is what the Babylonians would have done. And so eating the food would have been taking part in worshiping idols, in worshiping foreign gods. And so Daniel knew, if he knew the Torah, that in Leviticus 11 and in Deuteronomy 14, that God commands the Israelites to refrain from eating unclean foods. He knew that. And he certainly knew the Ten Commandments. All the Jewish people, I'm sure, knew the Ten Commandments, if not the other stuff. That the first of the Ten Commandments is that the Israelites should have no other gods before God. They should worship no other gods besides the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who they called Yahweh. So for these Jewish boys, they just knew this stuff. Now, I'm guessing that for them, memorizing the Old Testament or the Torah, knowing all this, like what not to eat, and all these laws, probably in Leviticus, it was probably par to you, like reading your geography book on the weekends or something. Just not very exciting. Probably like, when are we ever going to use this stuff? My guess is that Daniel, as a Jewish boy, probably looked at it like, maybe we look at algebra, as I said earlier. When am I ever going to use this stuff in real life? 
And suddenly, I mean, he's probably like, this is ridiculous. And suddenly they get pulled into exile. I mean, imagine somebody coming to Omaha or like a foreign country coming to take over the U.S., and we're pulled to, I don't know who would take us over, Russia or something. We're pulled over to China and we're forced to adopt a Chinese culture. Little did he know that he would wake up one day and his faith would be tested. And somebody would say to him, here, eat this food. I don't know how that plays out for you. It could be a bajillion different things. It could be as tangible and as practical as you end up at a party sometime in your life. You're an upperclassman now, you're invited to parties, or you go off to college and there's parties all the time, and somebody says, drink this. And somebody says, here, smoke this. Of course, those examples, though, are way too easy. So much for us, it's you approach your friends and they're gossiping about somebody, or they're absolutely slandering somebody. Um, and do you join in the conversation or do you not? Are you going to be self-righteous and feel like you're better than everybody or not? Are you going to be proud or are you going to be humble? But so in either circumstance, there's all kinds of ways that suddenly your faith, something is thrown in your face and you go, am I going to buy into this? Right now is game on time. I say I believe all this stuff. I go to church. I say I believe it. My parents think I believe it. But when it's game on, do you, have, do you know the word of God? Do you know what it says? Do you apply it to your life? Or when you go to school, do you just chuck the whole thing? So Daniel, as you would imagine, got some immediate pushback from the officials, from uh, his teachers, the people over him. But he stood by his diet. So check this out before we get to the application. Daniel 1, verse 12 through 16. So Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days. He kind of gives this Hey, how about you give us a 10-day food challenge? We'll see who looks better. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this, and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of, of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. He just stood by his convictions. Now there's an awesome story, the rest of the story in Daniel, and we'll dive more into Daniel. I'm just barely scratching the surface. How do, I apply, how do you apply this to your life? It's not, you know, go home and eat vegetables, obviously. What I'm trying to say is the guy knew what he, he was going to live by. This is Old Testament. No Savior had come on the scene yet. It really was purely religion. I mean, he was just Jewish. He wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. It was just rules and regulations and laws. And somehow, we, I, Daniel thought, I trust Moses. And when God came down on a mountain and gave Moses, Moses laws, but he goes, I'm not going to chuck it. It's game on time. And I, I don't care if the king kills me for this. So how do we apply this? I want you guys to do what Daniel did. I want you to begin working to understand what the Bible has to say to you, to your life. And it may make you think a little bit, and at times it may be impractical, and at times it may be like, whoa, I, I got to stretch to understand this. But I want you to try to apply it. So here's three simple steps, three simple steps. Number one is this, get a Bible. Get a Bible. I bet 75% of you in here already have a Bible, all right? So you're a third of the way there. That's awesome. But some of you don't have a Bible. In fact, we have 30 to 40 um, Bibles that we found in the attic last week, and I had Ben pull them down. If you don't have a Bible, you will not leave tonight without one, okay? And 
don't like take advantage of, hey, uh, my Bible's getting junky, but if you, we have Bibles that we, and they're nice, and they're hardback, and they're big, and so if you need a Bible, and you don't have one, that's going to be checked off before you leave tonight. Um, so come back here, and we'll have them after small groups. Um, but if you don't have a Bible, it's a great place to start. If you don't like our Bibles, picking out a Bible is awesome. And I know we talk about this maybe every year. I, I need to bank on this, though. Picking out a Bible is great. Um, reading the Bible, as we talked about, is the most important part, and it's what never happens. Like, oh, I got this sweet Bible, my name's on it, and it's leather, and sweet, and you're like showing everybody, and they're like, what does it say? And you're like, I don't know. It's really thick. It's very overwhelming, and it sits on my shelf. But look, my name, isn't that cool? I got like the engraved thing. It's awesome. Um, number two, so get a Bible. Pick a place. Pick a place. You're like, Brad, We were taught this in tribe. Yeah, were you? I know. And I'm telling you again tonight, pick a place. Pick a place to read your Bible, like your room or your backyard, or don't go your backyard, that's weird, Uh, your room or your basement or someplace quiet. So pick a place to read your Bible. And then secondly, pick a place in the Bible to read. There's a lot of great books. John is awesome, but the first two places I would recommend always is Proverbs or James. James is extremely practical. Proverbs is wonderful because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And guess how many days are in most months? 31. And so today is the ninth. And so you could go home tonight and read Proverbs 9. And so you should never have like, I don't know what to read. What day is today? The 12th. Read Proverbs 12. And it's filled just with wisdom stuff. It's all just practical wisdom. Now, here's the thing. Again, if you are like, Brad, this is so simple. Like, again, I have heard this in middle school. Um. Let me just ask you, how's it going for you? And for some of you, it really is going. Like you love the Word of God and you dive into it. But if you go, this is really, really simple, and I go, yeah, but are you reading the Bible daily? For I would say at least 20 minutes a day. And I don't want to give you one more like religious thing to do. No, I want you to have a relationship with the living God, as Eli talked about during worship tonight, that God came and wants to know us. So don't do it just because I say to do it. But are you doing it? That's the question. And if you're not doing that, maybe this isn't simple enough. So this is practical stuff, but are you doing it? And if you need help, maybe you're doing If you're like, I, I don't get it. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe you need a reading plan. But secondly, pick a place. And number three, ask questions and journal. And this isn't like a must, but ask questions and journal. When you get to a verse that makes sense to you, like, write it down. And I would say a chapter a day is a pretty good place to start. Read a chapter a day. But then guess the, this is what I do. I pick in that chapter the one verse or the three or five verses that stood out to me the most, and I journal it. I just write it down. Actually, I use a computer, and I love this app called Evernote, which is all about journaling. And so if you're an electronic person, you have an iPad or something, get Evernote. But I just copy and paste, and so it's easier. But I pick one passage and I like meditate on that one passage, and then I answer a couple questions. Here's a couple questions. What does this passage say? Meaning like, why did the writer write this? Like, what is he trying to say in this passage? Or just write down, why does this, pas- why does this passage stand out to me? Like, why do I like this passage so much? And just journal. Just write a journal entry. Now, here's one more question. How does this passage point me to my need for Jesus? And I think that is the most essential question to answer. How does this passage point me to my need for Jesus? And I won't go into a lot of it right now, but again, you don't need just more advice. You need to see your need for a Savior. Again, the Bible is full of advice. 
It's good there's advice there, and it's good for us to do it. But at the root, at the foundation, you don't need advice. Every religion offers you advice. What Christianity offers you that no other religion offers you is a Savior. Is God come to man who died for you? I just looked up this week the burial places of the founders of every major, major, major world religion. I can't talk. And uh, almost all of them list a place. Only Christianity says, oh, but Jesus claimed to be resurrected. Which I think he was, and you know, there was all kinds of eyewitnesses to that. Every other religion says, gives you a prophet or a founder or somebody that says, that points to the way and says, here's the way to God. Here, it's right here. And sure, Christianity has a lot of prophets, but then we also had the Son of God come and not say, here's the way to God. He said, I am the way. I am the way through me. So that is extremely significant, okay? So you do not need one more command necessarily. You need to see how the commands in the Bible point you to Jesus somehow. When you go, yeah, I'm not so good at being humble. Jesus, ah, you were so humble. You were perfectly humble. God, I need to let go of my image and the things that I hold so dearly, and I need to submit to you. God, thank you for dying for me. So number one, what does this passage say? Secondly, what does this passage say to me? And again, that's where you try to get practical. Um, maybe it's a certain word that you dwell on. I mean, it was this last weekend, it was humility. I was like, I guess I struggle with pride. I need to be more humble. And so I was just all day, humble was my word. Um, a lot of times, you guys, it's not extremely practical. You will not open up your Bible and it will not say, you know, um, Johnny, ask Cindy to the homecoming dance, okay? It's never like, it's just not practical like that. It's deeper stuff. And so if you're looking for a fortune cookie in the, like fortune cookie saying in the Bible, some abracadabra magical thing, it's not going to, it's not going to be there. Um, And if a verse doesn't make sense to you, here's my final thing. If a verse doesn't make sense to you, text it to your small group leader. Say, I don't understand this. Help me understand it. So I hope I want your faith grows when you learn to apply the Bible. And there may be days when the Bible seems mundane to you or just doesn't seem that relevant. But I'm telling you, stick to it. When there is a game on moment in your life and you might not see it coming, remember what Daniel did, that your faith in Christ grows when you apply the Bible to your life. And like Daniel, you can find strength there when you never thought you would. And I don't know what prompted him to say what he said to the king, and risk his life. But I hope that someday when you're in that game on situation, you can look at that person and you can just say, no, that's not who I am. That's not what I believe. That's not what my Savior would want for me. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for just the story of Daniel. And God, it's so intriguing to me that even though Daniel didn't even have the New Testament, God, he stuck by your word. He had the Old Testament. He had the Torah. And God, he knew, he, knew, uh, he knew what you wanted for them. He knew what you wanted for the Jews. And God, even in the midst of a very, very harsh situation where he could have been killed, he applied what he knew about the Bible. And so God, we need to not just read the Bible. We need to not just hear about the Bible. God, we, we're grounded. We need to be grounded in our faith in you. And we know that we're saved by grace. But God, faith in you prompts action. And so God, for this whole group, God, I pray that we would learn to apply the Bible I pray that we would learn to not be hypocrites. And God, so often we are, and that's why we need you, Jesus. But God, make us men and women who apply the Bible to our lives, and may we be changed by it. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.